the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thank you for joining us for the Bob France Authority at 7 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on a free-for-all Friday that is not going to be so free-for-all. It is going to be very jam-packed with guests, but I think you're going to appreciate the conversations we have today. It is the 12th morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2019. Coming up on the program, like I said, lots of guests. In the second hour of the program, Tom Z is going to be back with us. Tom Zawistowski, who is the... uh, the president of the We the People Convention, also uh, uh, the one of the chairs or the chair of the Portage County Tea Party. We're going to celebrate the 10th anniversary of the Tea Party movement, which began, of course, on Tax Day, April 15th, 2009. This Monday is Tax Day 2019, so we will indeed uh, celebrate that. There are a lot of commemorative events that are going on, and it's not just to say, hey, look what good stuff we did in 10 years. It's to chart a path forward, how the Tea Party, Continue its relevance to support conservative ideals, i.e., constitutional principles, uh, in this country moving forward. So Tom Z will be on with us at ten o five. At ten thirty five, my annual conversation with the former coach of the Cardiac Kids. That's right, Sam Artigliano and his daughter Carrie, who continue their missionary style work. I mean, it's truly philanthropic efforts uh, to help children in the inner cities, uh, particularly who have a hard time with literacy and more. They, uh, It's uh, called Coach Sam's Inner Circle, Coach Sam's Inner Circle Foundation. They have their annual fundraising benefit, banquet, and dinner coming up. Uh, next week on Tuesday, and Coach Sam is going to tell us all about it again at 10.35. This hour at 9.35, in about 20 minutes, we're going to welcome a John Carroll University student back to our program. I talked to him in the fall. Maybe you remember Declan Leary. Declan Leary is a rarity at John Carroll in that he is a conservative 
and not a far-left snowflake, which is apparently what the entire administration is made up of, as well as a good plurality of the student body. And I say that with a, with an understated tone. It is insane how crazy that would be, once was, won't be, Catholic-slash-Jesuit institution has become. They believe neither in Catholic doctrine nor the Constitution. They do not preach Catholic doctrine. In fact, they preach the exact opposite of it, and when somebody opposes it, then they go ahead and withdraw constitutional rights and uh, remove free speech. Declan Leary is experiencing it all, and he continues to fight uh, very courageously, despite potentially having a target put on his back by the administration. I'll tell you, let him tell you that story coming up at 9.35. But I start this morning, and this is very important. I, I've, 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 I've gone about as far as I can go in, in accepting Ilhan Omar as a representative of the people of Minnesota in the United States legislature. And I'm going to ask this very simple question. How and why can the United States of America have as one of its representatives in the People's House someone who is a foreign terrorist sympathizer, somebody who is a Muslim terrorist sympathizer, somebody who is an anti-Israel terrorist sympathizer, somebody who is an anti-Semitic terrorist sympathizer? She sympathizes with terrorists. I'm not going to go so far as to call her a terrorist, but I'm going to continue to call her a terrorist sympathizer. And what we have seen over the last few days simply underscores the point. And it also um, begs the question, what can we do when we have an enemy to the United States, an enemy to the Constitution, someone who puts her religion and her Sharia compliance ahead of the Constitution? Ilhan Omar, in case you missed this, was speaking before CARE, which is a designated foreign terrorist organization by the United Arab Emirates, a United States ally, and should be designated as such here in the United States. CARE, the Council on American Islamic Relations, has been proven to be a front group in the United States doing the work of another terrorist organization, Hamas. All kinds of information about CARE, and what they are, uh, was uncovered, information was uncovered in the Holy, Holy Land Foundation trials uh, of about a decade ago. Extraordinarily important information that is indisputable. CARE is a terrorist front group. They front for Hamas in the United States. So she's speaking at CARE, Los Angeles, uh, last month, shortly after the New Zealand um, terrible attacks at the mosque there. And what she said in complaining about the fact that Muslims were being looked at funny because of Muslim terror attacks after 9-11 has, let's just say it has angered a few people, as she casually dismisses the worst terror attack in United States history by describing it thusly. Care was founded after 9-11. Because they recognized that some people did something and that all of us were starting to lose access to our civil liberties. Let's ignore the front and back end lies. The front lie was that CARE was, was founded after 9-11. Not true. CARE was founded in 1994, long before 9-11 and anybody was you know, wary of Muslims. 
uh, the back-end lie was that they were losing their civil liberties. No one has lost any civil liberties because of their religion in this country, with the possible exception of Christians, who are routinely silenced and have their speech denied them uh, because of their majority status. Let's focus instead of the front and back ends of that comment on the middle. When she described 9-11 as, some people did something. The New York Post went full savage with yesterday's front page. The New York Post um, reprinted in full color a photograph of the North Tower burning as the South Tower exploded right after the plane crashed into the South Tower. Headline, Rep. Ilhan Omar, 9-11 was some people did something. Larger headline, here's your something. A reminder, this is your something. This is what you so casually dismissed. This is what you so cavalierly referenced when you said some people did something. And you're not worried about the 3,000 dead. You're worried about the fact that some people might be a little bit wary of Muslims after Allahu Akbar took down, for again, yet again in the name of religion, another, and in this time, of course, the largest, uh, another terror target. This is not the only one, of course. We know about all of the radical Islamic uh, uh, terrorist attacks on the United States, on the United States' interests, on other Western nations as well, uh, in the months and years leading up to 9-11 and in the years after 9-11. But she's more worried about how people see her. The New York Post said, here's your something, which was phenomenal. Conservative, and I don't know, let's just say, Patriotic Americans over the course of the last couple of days have rightly shown their indignation. That's right, their righteous indignation at her comments and criticized her loudly and profoundly for her unbelievable attitude toward 9-11. Which brings us to the next pushback. How dare you criticize Ilhan Omar? Don't you realize she is a person of color? She's a woman of color. If you criticize her, it's clearly your Islamophobia and your hatred of people of a different race that that leads to this. And what authority do we turn to for uh, her expertise in this matter? Of course, Kelly Bundy Cortez. We are getting to a level where, the, where this is an incitement of violence against progressive women of color. Whoa, whoa, and- whoa, 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 whoa. What did this airhead say what did this 29 year old bartender who wasn't even good at that say this is an incitement to violence against progressive women of color did she really say that we are getting to a level where where this is an incitement of violence against progressive women of color and if they can't figure out how to get it back to policy we need to call it out for what it is because this is not normal this is not normal she says this 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 is not normal a muslim representative from a muslim district in the caliphate of minnesota dismisses the worst terror attack committed by muslims in the history of the united states and you think the response to her words is not normal? This Muslim congresswoman's response, her statement, is normal? That's what you're saying? We're being Islamophobic? She's not being anti-American? She's not being anti-Semitic? She's not being Muslim extremist? 
I don't know. Let's consider two things. Number one, her history. Number two, how she got here. Representative Ilan Omar, a little bit of her history. It's not even distant history. It's recent history. November 2016, the Minnesota men charged with planning to join ISIS are scheduled to be sentenced next week. Ahead of the court dates, 13 letters were sent to Judge Michael Davis in the case of defendant blah, 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 blah. I don't care. Including the letter letter from state representative at the time, Ilhan Omar, who on election night became the first elected Somali-American lawmaker in the nation. Representative Omar asked Judge Davis to show compassion and leniency on these ISIS recruits. There is a full letter that I tweeted and Facebook posted before the show started. Follow me on Twitter and on Facebook at France Radio, F-R-A-N-T-Z Radio, and read it for yourself. The full letter that she wrote to the judge asking for leniency and for compassion for ISIS recruits trying to argue that this will this will uh, lead to fewer ISIS uh, uh, potential ISIS recruits in the United States once you show them and show all of these people how what a compassionate country we are. They're going to say, "Wow, this place is great. We don't want to blow it up after all. We don't want to turn it into uh, uh, the entire nation into an ISIS uh, uh, to a, uh, uh, an ISIS caliphate or an Islamic caliphate. Uh, they're nice to us here. They let us go." Quote: The restorative approach provides a long-term solution. Though the self-declared Islamic State may soon suffer defeat, their radical approach to change-making, notice, they're not murderers, they're change-makers, will continue as it has throughout history by criminalizing the undergirding construct rather than its predisposed victims. Therein, this ruling, the ruling she's asking the judge to make for compassion and leniency in sentencing, can set a precedent and has the potential to be a landmark case in addressing extremism. Thank you for your careful attention. Ilan Omar, State Representative... Minnesota. This is simply astounding. Now, I told you there were two parts. Number one is her history. Number two is how she got here. People need to understand, this is not an isolated occurrence. This, her presence as a Sharia-compliant, and apparently Sharia-compliant, care-supporting, ISIS-defending, uh, ISIS-sympathizing um, uh, re- representative will not be the first. Because how she got here is quite disturbing. How she got here is through policies under the previous president, sadly, that has simply allowed massive populations to congregate in certain areas of the country, primarily Michigan and Minnesota, to uh, elect some of their own, meaning radical Muslim legislators who are going to upend the entire uh, American system of government. Two headlines, one from Fox News, February of this year, how Minneapolis's Somali community became the terrorist recruitment capital of the U.S. That Somali community, that uh, terrorist recruitment capital, is the district from which Ilhan Omar was elected to Washington, D.C., I want you to consider that. I mentioned the last administration. So President Obama imported 
or allowed to be imported, 70,000 Somali immigrants parks all in one place in Minnesota where they all cluster in a single area, the 5th Congressional District. That district, identified by the... That, that headline I gave you from Fox News was not from Fox News. I mean, they just put the headline up that was designated by the FBI by sheer volume of numbers as America's terrorist recruitment capital. So the 5th District in Minnesota, represented by Ilhan Omar, calling for dissolution of America's homeland security agencies. Yeah, she does that. She doesn't want homeland security to exist. She doesn't want ICE to exist. She represents a massive Muslim community, Somali Muslim community in Minnesota that put her in D.C. Are you following this narrative? Are you following, connecting the dots, following the story? If you think that CARE and the Muslim Brotherhood and others who are involved in this are done with just a couple of representatives like Rashida Tlaib in Michigan and Ilhan Omar in Minnesota, also Keith Ellison, a Muslim who is not quite as radical, at least thus far, from uh, from Minnesota, if you think they're done, you are mistaken. There is a battle, a serious battle, that is being waged right now on the liberty and the freedom of the United States of America by Sharia-compliant people who have numbers. They have numbers. It's 923. We'll be right back after this on AM 1420 The Answer. WHKRadio.com is where to find the Bob France Authority podcast. Got a message here on Twitter from Brett who says perhaps it's time to retire the moniker of Free For All Friday because your Fridays are about as free for all as liberals' health care plans. <laughs> yes. Very well done, sir. And you're right. It is. It's true. Uh, I, uh, but I love the alliteration. I love free for all Friday. It just kind of sounds good. If I have, uh, don't have so many guests, we do make it a free for all, but, uh, yeah, I know I'm very guest heavy today. Let me get a call in here though. Fran in South Euclid on AM 1420, the answer. Hi, Fran, go ahead. Fran, are you there? Hi. Uh, um, yeah. I've been okay, listening to you, uh, speaking about, um, uh, representative Omar's comments, um, specifically when she, um, Use the phrase, some people did something um, mm-hmm. instead of, you know, 19 Muslim terrorists who claimed into the buildings and crowds. Mm-hmm. Um, she specifically is diminishing that because among many in the radical Muslim community here and abroad, they do not believe, or at least they say that they don't believe that Muslims actually did this. They believe among themselves that Jews did this. Whether the Israelis were behind it or American Jews, their belief is that they were being set up by Jews. Um, well, you're you're right. They have some have said that, and that is you're the second person in two days now because I brought this up a little bit yesterday, and another caller called up and said she is essentially not just saying that some people did some things, but not my people. Some other people uh, did some things um, on nine eleven, and and not taking ownership of it and trying to pass it. You're the second person to bring it up, and you you that may indeed be what they believe. 
I will not address that portion of this, however, because it's largely irrelevant. In truth, when the information and the intelligence was all released uh, in terms of the investigation of what happened on 9-11 and videotapes of, from security cameras at the airports uh, in Boston, uh, in New York, uh, all of these things that we, I mean, we the, the uh, uh, manifests were made public, uh, the names, uh, everything was traced, all of the dollars, where they got it, where they did their flight school training. I mean, we have all of the information. So I'm not interested in relitigating the responsibility in this. We know who is responsible. But what she said was so unbelievably cavalier and so um, ridiculous that it needs to be called out for that. Whether she wants to engage in her fantasy about somebody else being responsible or not is not a fight I want to engage in. I want to know why it is that she's cavalierly dismissed the death of 3,000 people, no matter who did it, in favor of the, well, uh, you know, then people started looking at us funny, and we had our civil liberties uh, uh, withdrawn, which, of course, is an abject lie in and of itself. All right, it's 931. We'll get a time out here. We're going to uh, shift gears. We're going to talk about tolerance on college campuses, Catholicism at Catholic schools, specifically John Carroll University, which is a train wreck. That's coming up next right here on AM 1420. All right, our jam-packed show continues now. I had a lot to get off my chest in the first segment. Now I've got guests the rest of the way, so I'm going to beg your uh, indulgence here as we tell a few stories. Joining me now uh, is a student at John Carroll University. Uh, do we? Is that line six, by the way? Is Declan, is Declan on six? I've got to make sure we're good here. Okay, uh, we're going to bring him on in a second here. His name is Declan Leary. He is a student at John Carroll University. You may or may not recall, depending on how frequently you listen to this show. And if you do not recall, because you do not listen frequently enough, for shame. Shame on you. But we talked to him this past fall, I believe it was in October, uh, about a situation. And let's bring him up, please. Go ahead and put him on hold so I can bring him up, please. I'm having a a hard time on this end here. I want to get him on to tell his story. But back in, uh, thank you, uh, Declan Leary, a student at John Carroll University. Declan, do I have you now? Yes, you De- do. Okay, okay, thanks very much. It took a little bit to get you on. Um, okay, Declan, first of all, what year are you now? I'm a sophomore. You're a sophomore, okay. Uh, when we first spoke back in, uh, in around October um, about your plight at John Carroll, I uh, got a very, very large response and a very, very disturbed response from a lot of John Carroll alums who were really, really disappointed to see what has become of their Jesuit institution. They're turning away from Catholic doctrine and they're embracing of, uh, uh, let's just say, new cultural norms uh, and uh, and essentially turning away from God. You wrote about that uh, uh, in an article for the Carroll News. Headline, Drag Queens and Jesuit Jesuits. Now, I want to take your story in order here. I want to go back to that one briefly. We're going to talk about your new column, and then I want to talk about what the uh, uh, administration, and particularly the, um, the uh, faculty advisor for the newspaper, the Carroll News, has done as well. Remind us from October what was going on at John Carroll that prompted your editorial. Right. So John Carroll had just had its sixth annual officially university-sponsored, university-funded drag show. And I wrote a column criticizing that event, saying that an event that flies so directly in the face of Catholic teaching on sexual ethics is not appropriate to be funded and sponsored and take place 
on a Catholic university campus. And, of course, the outrage was immediate. Um, I was attacked for saying things that I hadn't said, for supposedly um, insulting and denying the humanity and personhood of the LGBTQIA plus community here at John Carroll. And, of course, we had a town hall. We had dozens of letters to the editor at the Carroll News. There were statements from the university and from various university bodies sent to the entire university community apologizing for students having to face an opinion that they disagreed with. And it died down for a while, but now we're right back where we started. I want to I want to read just a portion of your summary, your final paragraph from that article, Drag Queens and Jesuits, so that people can kind of hear what we're talking about. The Jesuits and their progressive allies, you wrote, on the other hand, seek to redefine our nature in order to conform to the culture of sexual perversion, instrumentalization, and commercialization, which has so ravaged the human soul and body. We cannot be immoral, they seem to be saying, if we redefine our morals to justify our sins. This cannot be the solution. We are terribly, terribly lost, and our salvation will not be found in watching troubled men make fools of themselves in miniskirts and stilettos. Uh, That's the hate speech that they uh, accused you of of expressing. Tell me, and and again, we had you on, and I got a lot of real strong responses from people who were in your corner, uh, not in the corner of the university, wondering what has happened to the university, talking about withholding donations and endowments and so on and so forth. Uh, tell me what has happened between then and now. What has your existence on that campus been since you wrote this quote-unquote controversial op-ed? Well, it, it was crazy for a few weeks, definitely, and it sort of died down. Um, I did have to take it into account when I was registering for classes for this semester because I knew there were some professors I just couldn't possibly take their class because they were very open in their opposition to me and in their belief that I would not be welcome in their classes. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't gloss over that. That is astounding. I want everyone to understand what Declan, a sophomore at uh, John Carroll, just said. Professors made it well known with open hostility toward a student that that student shouldn't take their class because he has dared to express an opinion that runs contrary to theirs. Is this an institution of higher learning? Are they interested at all in in debate? Are they interested in the debate of ideas? Are they interested in philosophy? Are they interested in or are they just interested in groupthink and echo chambers? Because I find that astounding. They would you're you're a tuition paying student, and they basically said you better not take my class or you're going to regret it. Absolutely. If if I'd be happy to focus a little bit on faculty responses for a minute. Um, especially there's one very interesting comment um, from a history professor, a a full-time professor in the history department here, on this most recent column that we can talk about. Um, Let's Hold on. Let's go in order then, because I wanted to get to there, sure. and then, but we'll keep that on, on the back burner there so you can tell me about this particular professor. Now, uh, the latest uh, events that have happened here, and I'll let you kind of, I'll, I'll paraphrase it, and you can get, get more specific on it. Um, a pamphlet was issued, a magazine of sort, and by the way, I love how you did this, uh, entitled Loud and Proud, John Carroll's Diversity and Inclusion-Focused Zine. And I'll let you exp- explain that in a second here. But basically, it was a magazine was put out directly in response to you, 
And your column last uh, fall that essentially said we should not be promoting, it's not a Catholic uh, principle here to be promoting sexualized drag shows of men dressing as, as women and, and, and doing uh, you know, various, various um, uh, perverted type of things. Uh, so this thing was created, uh, this, this magazine type thing was created, and you wrote a column in response to that. So I just want to make sure our listeners are following the progression here. Tell me what this magazine was about and what you wrote in response. So I actually have the magazine in front of me here, and I can just read a couple words from the beginning of the introduction just to show that this really is about what I had written. And I think there's been some movement lately um, in response to my column to say, well, we weren't really talking about him. This is just for our community. But the very first sentence of their magazine is, in September of 2018, the Carol News published an op-ed piece that was framed as an opposition piece to the annual drag show held at John Carroll University as an educational experience for students on the culture of LGBTQ plus community. This article used hateful language such as sexual perversity and called on the new university president to purge this place of the evil which have invaded it in the names of tolerance and progress. So there's really no question there about yeah. who they were talking about and what they were talking about. They were being blatant, it's, yeah. I mean, they, 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 they referenced it very directly. Before you continue on that, by the way, I love what you wrote in response when you pointed out that they don't call it a magazine. They just call it a zine, Z-I-N-A-Y. Or, excuse me, Z-I-N-E, well, I, excuse me, Z-I-N-E-Y. What? Is that, um, it was taken out out of a fear of the letters MAGA, um, and that's actually in response. Um, people have really hinged on that line of the one column, um, claiming that I misunderstood their intention and that um, they they didn't really mean it that way. One, an adjunct English professor in a response to this column referred to the letters MAGA as, let me find it, um, the, uh, so for, the magical for, incantation that me and my ilk see in those four missing letters. Magical incantation. I mean, I think it's pretty, I think it's pretty observant of you. I don't know if I would have caught it, but once you pointed it out, I think you're 100% right. Uh, this, you know, they all, they all know the battle that the, the LGBT community has, uh, you know, with, with conservatives and, uh, Trump voters and so on and so forth. And they would not put the words MAGA, the letters MAGA, M-A-G-A, make America great again on their publication. So they just call it a zine. And I love how every time you reference the zine throughout your column, you put the uh, MAGA in parentheses in front of it. Probably just to kind of jab at them a little bit. And I don't blame you at all. But now let's get more specific. In the actual zine, magazine that they wrote you pointed out something very important here and that is that they wanted everybody to know this is our space this is our place we don't want any debate here we don't want anybody reading this uh you know in bold point a bold face type as you point out this is our space and if you don't agree with us you shut up you don't have a right to say anything to us is that essentially what your takeaway was yes absolutely and even in in response to this latest column there's been a lot of outrage and a lot of um, a lot of people saying, "Well, you shouldn't be criticizing us in the first place because you said this is just for us." 
and yet it's a publication that's this 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 magazine is available to to anyone, right? I mean, wh- how are they distributed? Were they only handed out to LGBT people, or how do they guarantee that nobody else is going to read it? Now that is a very interesting question, Bob, and I could not tell you. I have one copy that I got my hands on, and I have held on to it for dear life. In the time since my column has come out, you can scour the entire campus of John Carroll University. You will not find a single other copy anywhere else. I don't know what happened. I don't know if they never fully distributed it, if they kept it within their closed community, or if they did distribute it and then pulled it after the controversy, but the magazine seems to have disappeared. Declan, um, I want you to give us the the uh, the core of your op-ed. And again, we should point out, too, that you are also now a member of student government, correct? Yes, that's correct. So in addition to being an editorial and op-ed editor at the newspaper, the student newspaper, which you had to resign from, which we'll get to in a second, you're also a member of student government. And I want you to tell, first, let's again, I'm trying to do this in, in a progression so that people can follow this. In your op-ed response to the publication of this magazine, you call out the, the, the writers and the publishers for their commentary about self-love, about loving oneself. In a nutshell, can you describe the problem you have with that phrasing? Yes. Um, so they're talking sort of about courage and about making change in your community. And in one sense, What they're trying to get at is all about how we interact with each other. But then what they say is you need to reorganize your community, redefine your culture to serve yourself and to serve how you see yourself, however you choose that to be. So it's on one level, it's a very social agenda that they have. But then on another, it's a very anti-social agenda because they're trying to push this narcissistic, solipsistic worldview on the rest of the community. And it's worse reflected in their art, which I discussed in the column, that the art just becomes about me, 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 me. And there's no standard, there's no reason to it. There's nothing deep or intelligent about any of it. And the art, I think, is the the most obvious expression of how shallow the ideology is. And it can't pre- it can't create good art, and that's just an indication that it can't create good anything else. So you're, according to your critics and those who are coming for you, your criticism of the art is your expression of hate. You hate these people because you criticize their art and criticize their, their expressions of self-love, suggesting that the one thing you guys are not lacking is love of yourselves. That's not the, uh, that's not the issue here. Now let's move to the uh, other criticism you got as a member of student government. You told that story in the article. Tell us exactly what happened. This was, what, an open forum? Is it a regular student government meeting? Tell us what went down there. Yes, so we have an open forum at the beginning of every student government meeting, and it's typically, you know, three to five minutes. Um, any individual can come, say, hey, this is going on, or hey, we have an issue here. And it's typically just a brief, you know, three or four people at most will come and we'll move on with our regular business. Um, the the allies group, the LGBT um, activism group on campus, brought, I'd say, at least 30 people to our meeting a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. um, and for two hours kept the open forum um, active. And, you know, they're 
raising their voices, shouting, making demands. What demands um, are they making? What demands were they making that you not be allowed to write? That you not yes. be allowed to actually express your opinions on a campus yes, so if they disagree with a larger group of people's opinions? Yes, that's been the demand all along. And then they also demanded formal um, public apologies from both the Carroll News and the student government. And both organizations caved and issued those apologies. And they did, yeah, which I'll get to in a second here. But, but Declan, let's, let's fast forward to your decision to resign from the newspaper. You gave them what they wanted. Why? Well, I have to say it wasn't much of a choice as I saw it. I was told if I stayed, I would be subject to very strict rules for what I was allowed to write. It was essentially you can stay, but you can only say what we want you to say. Um, and, you know, one of, one of the reasons it was manageable in the fall was I had a decent amount of support from the editors of, and the faculty advisor of the newspaper. And there was a recognition, or at least I thought there was a recognition, that we are allowed to speak freely and that it's important to have intelligent debates without shutting each other down or shouting each other down. Um, but they had turned on that um, for obvious reasons, and I don't think they were reasons of principle. And I essentially, I couldn't stay and just be silenced while still writing some sort of fluff for a paper that's already 99% fluff. So I felt like I had to leave if I wanted to maintain my voice. Let me uh, again fast forward here in the interest of time, because I don't have a lot of it left, to the cave. Um, and uh, the apology letter, a statement from the John, for the John Carroll community, written yesterday by Kathleen Mackey, the editor-in-chief, and by Dr. Kerry Buchanan, the advisor, I assume the faculty advisor essentially saying that what you just said is going to be the, the, the rule going forward. No one will be able to write articles for or op-eds for the Carroll News uh, unless they conform to the opinions and the beliefs that we say that we allow. Um, they told you that, which led to your resignation, and now this basically says you will not read anything else that you might find disagreeable ever again in our newspaper or else it will be spiked. Um, I'm astounded that they actually teach journalism at that school. I am astounded that this faculty advisor would 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 allow that to be the policy because that's the exact opposite of journalism. It is censorship. Uh, and secondly, or, or thirdly, I guess now, I'm astounded that they put a giant target on your back, Declan Leary, because that's what it seems like. They specifically referenced you and said, Declan Leary's tone and choice of language in his writing has repeatedly been in direct conflict with the mission of the university. They just named you as as the troublemaker here, as the bad guy here. And I saw that your par- one of your parents, I don't know which, wrote uh, that if some harm befalls you, they're... <laughs> They're very concerned about that, Declan. How how worried are you about that? Well, you know, this came up in the fall again. Um, I'm not too worried. Um, are you alone on that campus? Are... What's that? Are you alone on that campus? Are there others like you? There are others. Um, they're not as vocal. Some of them were encouraged when I started writing and started speaking up a little, I think the rest of them will certainly be discouraged now that I've been effectively silenced through official channels. 
I'm just wondering if uh, you know if there's people you can travel in circles with uh, because you might need safety in numbers. I'm not kidding you. These people are dangerous people. I'm talking about anybody who would directly uh, uh, challenge the First Amendment, who would directly name you, and I'm talking about a faculty member naming you as being some sort of a villain here. If something does happen to you, for God's sake, God forbid, um, Declan, I mean, they will have brought it on. Uh, I, I am simply astounded, and I hope astounded, and I hope you have protection there. Um, where where do you go from here, uh, Declan? And I'm out of time, so I really got to rush this, and I do apologize. I need to have you on for a full hour sometime. But where do you go from here? Well, it's it's a tough call. Um, there's a small group of us who are looking into other options for expressing dissenting opinions on campus. Um, don't be surprised if you see some sort of an alternative publication at John Carroll surfacing next year. Good. Um, but I certainly won't allow myself or people like me to be silenced. I, I did see uh, somewhere, and I don't remember where, as I was preparing for this, you have an internship scheduled for this summer? Yes, I, I do. I'll be working with the great people at National Review, so the world won't be completely deprived of my writing. You'll be able to read me there. I'm going to put you in touch with Peter Kersenow, who also writes for National Review. He also happens to be an attorney who would be, I'm sure, would be very interested in reading and learning a little bit more about your story. And, uh, Declan, please stay in touch with me. Let me know of latest developments in this uh, situation. And I have reached, or I am reaching out, I should say. I have not pushed send yet. I'm still composing the email invitation to Dr. Kerry Buchanan to come out of the air and explain the actions of the university as it pertains to this situation. Uh, But please stay in touch and let us know. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Bob. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Declan. Declan Leary, sophomore at John Carroll University. Got to get out. Back after this. The answer is 1420 AM and 102.5 FM. Way to better help with calendar. All right, very short segment here before the top of the hour, obviously. Coming up after the top of the hour, uh, our friend Tom Zawistowski of We the People Convention and the Portage County Tea Party is going to be joining us to talk about the uh, 10th anniversary of the birth of the Tea Party. It started on tax day, April 15th, 2009, and it uh, is now turning 10 this Monday, the uh, April 15th, 2019. Obviously, there are some events coming up over the weekend uh, that you should be aware of. We'll let Tom tell you all about those, and we'll talk about the future of the Tea Party and the kind of impact it can have on uh, uh, on elections going forward and the advancement of the conservative movement. I want to say thank you again to Declan Leary, and I want to ask you, if you are a John Carroll alum, first of all, I apologize for my disparaging remarks about your university, but my suspicion is it no longer resembles your university. This is unacceptable for an institution of higher learning to spike speech that disagrees with others' speech, to declare it so hateful and hurtful and objectionable and offensive that it must be silenced, is is unconscionable. To completely ignore the Constitution that guarantees and protects free speech. Further, to drive a conservative-minded student underground, as it were, to the point where he may have to start his own publication just to allow... differing viewpoints to be heard on a campus. I thought the idea of education was the pursuit of knowledge that can only come from presentations of information and ideas from different sides. 
ideological differences being hashed out. That's one of the things that makes everyone smarter. John Carroll is now an echo chamber. It is now under the full and total control of the LGBT mafia. It is now under the full and total control of the progressive left, and they are smashing any ob, uh, any um, obstacles that get in their way, including sophomore students. And the idea that a faculty advisor would name and shame in an apology to the John Carroll community one student potentially putting a giant target on his back. We have seen enough of these types of situations where the radical progressive left gets so violent, they hit uh, uh, people in the head with bike locks. Remember this radical professor in California uh, who did that? I, I, I fear for this young man's well-being. And I hope you will call out your university. I am composing an email to Dr. Buchanan, who wrote that ridiculous apology on behalf of the faculty, I will be calling her out and challenging her to come on the air and express and explain herself on this program. So stay tuned for that. I'll have information on it in the coming days. For now, we've got news and Tom Z next on AM 1420. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.